listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and threatening to sue 10 different podcasts over allegations that we are, in fact, dirty little piggies. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is truth a defence there? Because we are piggies. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to get into the story this week of Andrew Lamming uh, threatening to sue 10 MPs and journos over tweets, but I do just want to quickly shout out our... Posting parliamentarian. It's the, the the brainworm energy of someone like Andrew Lamming posting through it and then taking to the courts. Mwah. We will cover him again in a future episode. It just makes me think of like how like all these politicians which are formed in eggs to like be parliamentarians. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of us are like, yeah, we could be better politicians. We're posters. Like, how much worse could that possibly <laughs> be? <laughs> exactly. There's there's never an end to the cooked generation. There's always more eggs. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of cooked, I was going to say speaking no, of speaking a generation of cooked, that is cooked. Speaking yeah. of the cooked generation, we got a we got an insight into the minds of the chefs. Uh, <laughs> uh, who there's a, just a, a big story along all of my socials at least this week was uh, Greenpeace posted. Posted. Uh, yeah, post. there we go. <laughs> yes. Greenpeace posed as headhunters uh, and interviewed an Exxon lobbyist for a, a, a plum gig, but it turned out that that plum gig was uh, just getting his dirty laundry aired all over the internet. Uh, they basically just had a, a very frank conversation around Exxon's uh, actions. Uh, he admitted on video, among other things, that the only reason that Exxon supports a carbon tax is they reckon a carbon tax will never happen. Mm. So it's a safe bet. They'd cool. be like, yeah, we support a carbon tax at least, knowing that they'll never get carbon taxed. Just uh, just real mask off shit. <laughs> yeah, the, the lobbyist said, did we aggressively fight against some of the science? Yes. Did we join some of these shadow groups to work against some of the early efforts? Yes, that's true. <laughs> but there's nothing illegal about that. We were looking out for our investments. Just the reason it's not <laughs> illegal is you're lobbying to make the laws. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is easily the coolest thing done by an activism group in a while where it's like once you realize that it's so easy to find out information if you just get that one soft point, like it's been used against activists for so long. It's about time that it was like flip the script, right? That's so good. Hmm. I guess. I mean, it's it's like it's funny to see a guy get humiliated <clears throat> And sort of caught up in that kind of trap, but like the the consequences that he's faced are not Exxon sized consequences. Oh, he's no. posted an apology. Oh, I'm so sorry that I got duped, and you know I made some <laughs> remarks that reflect poorly on the company, and everyone's like, "Cool, you know, uh, you keep your job. Exxon's going to keep doing what it's doing." Like that's people being like, "Oh, now we know. Now we know that they fought against the science." Mm. Unlike two days ago, when we absolutely <laughs> did still know for sure, a hundred percent, that they've been doing it for decades, flagrantly. Yeah, this is he's, he's absolutely just said this stuff that we already one hundred percent knew they say behind closed doors, and it's nice to get it on mic. But it's it's wild to me that. Neither this guy got fired or Exxon faces consequences. It's 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 either he is speaking, you know, accurately about Exxon or he's absolutely slandering them and saying the wrong shit. One of those has to be true. <laughs> but apparently Exxon's gone, oh, he's both lying horribly about us and eh, he, we're fine with it. 
the headline or the way you'd written it out in the notes kind of threw me for a little bit when I was like, what do you like by headhunters? Like, oh, corporate headhunters, right? Like, like yeah, for, corporate for jobs. <laughs> and so I reckon the next step is for Greenpeace to become literal headhunters and go after Exxon lobbyists. I, I think it, that's sort of where I'm at, right? Yeah. It's so climate change is very scary and will kill everybody, right? <laughs> and sort of just imagine hypothetically that it was someone's specific fault intentionally and they did it on purpose. What should we do to that person, right? <laughs> and that's an interesting hypothetical question and we know for sure that Exxon did do it hypothetically for 100% for sure previously before we knew it 100% for sure that they did do it on purpose intentionally cause climate change kill everybody on the planet. <laughs> on purpose, 100%. But now, now someone's also, in addition to us already knowing 100% for sure that they did climate change on purpose, now somebody has also admitted it. <laughs> yeah. So, what do we do to that person hypothetically? And should we do that hypothetically? Should we do it? Yes. Hypothetically, though, and literally, <laughs> they own all of the cops. Like, uh,. That, that's like, hey, maybe we should assassinate Stalin. Yes, yeah, Stalin's thought of that. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> ah, the weakness in my armor, being killed. I didn't fucking think of that shit. I, I don't know. Like, when I see, like, the ocean literally on fire, I feel like someone should personally be blamed for that, right? So again, Just chuck them in. Yeah, like, it, it, seriously, I have saw on stuff um, when you mm. see the Gulf of Mexico on fire. By the way... Not the first time that there has been an incredibly huge oil spill slash fire in the ocean slash international <clears throat> incident. This happened 10 years ago. Here we are again, staring at videos of the Gulf of Mexico on fire. Yeah, but now the ocean is burning contemporaneously with parts of North America having multiple consecutive days over 50 degrees uh, in, a, in a horrifying heat wave. Like, well, 10 years ago, that wasn't happening. Now it's new. <laughs> now we also, because they admit it, know that Exxon did it on purpose to everyone <laughs> in the world. Do you guys want to know my favourite fact about the ocean in the Gulf of Mexico being on fire? And it's not what you'll expect. <laughs> All right. Um, it's that the company responsible, which is Pemex, which is, I think it's a Mexican, maybe state, maybe partly state-owned company, is basically on the verge of bankruptcy. It's not even profitable to destroy the environment. That is a really good fact. Yeah, I read that they had a long record. They had like a huge record of industrial incidents. And so now their latest industrial incident is setting the whole ocean on fire. Yeah. Ruining the world for profit isn't even profitable. <laughs> it's just doing it for fun. Or they just, just don't just know what else to lazy. do. Yeah, it's just laziness. Like we could pivot, but then we'd have to do up some more graphs and there'd be meetings and uh. Do you want to hear the statement from the head of Mexico's oil safety regulator, ASEA? Uh, yes. They wrote on Twitter that the incident, quote unquote, did not generate any spill. He did not explain <laughs> what was burning on the water surface. <laughs> I'm sure something was That's spilled. No, no, oil to spill if you burn it all off first. Yeah. It's just me tapping my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that burning uh, patch of ocean is actually mining a whole bunch of Bitcoin right now. So it's, it's actually a good thing. And it's, it's probably um, important to mention that of the countries monitored by the UN, Mexico still rates better than Australia in climate goals. Hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> congrats to Mexico. No. Hey, where, where, where are we on the list? We're last. 
every country, hey. all 193 <laughs> countries that the UN is measuring the sustainable development goals of are better than Australia at climate shit. That includes Brunei, Qatar, <laughs> every other petrostate. Literal countries which have, like, human slavery for <clears throat> oil and we're still yeah. last. <laughs> now, we do... We do beat them in human slavery. So the sustainable development goals measure all sorts of stuff. We do pretty well on like health, education, stuff like that. We're, we're working on that though. Give us a few years. <laughs> Fuck me. Is that Damn. what we're asking God? Give us a few years, please. Because <laughs> Exxon's murdered us on purpose. We can, ta- we can tank the rest of these goals as well. Because we've linked them all to coal. <laughs> Moving on with the pod. <laughs> This week you can get vaccinated again. <laughs> that, that sort of Maybe. switch that the government loves to flip on and off constantly is back to on. <laughs> I got my vaccine this week. I'm so happy about it. I was like sick as a dog for a whole day. I had the weirdest fever, but I'm also like completely impenetrable to COVID now. I will destroy the coronavirus myself. <laughs> Pretty sure that how it Aren't works. Are you half vaccinated? <laughs> at this point? Yep. 50% impenetrable I, to I've COVID. I've just got like just a completely completely unwarranted sense of self-worth about getting the first COVID shot. (laughs) The other half is confidence. I got messed up by AstraZeneca vaccines as well. Just like I had about a day of just being feverish and sensitive skin and like a bit of a rumbly tummy and all that. And usually I'm a real crybaby about getting sick. Uh, But for that whole duration, I was just like, I, I, you know, uh, uh, real proud of it. Just like, oh, my skin feels like horrible garbage because I've done the right thing. I'm yes. vaccinated. <laughs> Beautiful. It's just the most smug side effects I've ever had. It was, it was amazing. I've never been so smug and feverish in my life. The sensitive skin was yes. so weird. <laughs> Everybody go get vaccinated so you can have the smug fever combo. It's real strange. You can't get it anywhere else. <laughs> Pretend you're in the early part of uh, Spider-Man where Tobey Maguire is like asleep and he's all sweaty and then he wakes up and he's super buff. Hell yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the gym and I'm gonna pull a hundred kilos like almost instantly. Yeah, totally fuck your back up. I'm gonna kill Willem Defoe. <laughs> fuck your back up, you're out for a week, crick neck, but it's just like this vaccine rules. Yeah. Look, the vaccine will either bimbify you or make you like fully jacked, depending on what you want. You've got to ask at the doctor first. That's the not good enough promise. <laughs> um, so hang on. But backtracking, I'm advice. actually I'm actually not sure where the current vaccine advice is because, because yes, for a sweet moment there, and I'll, I'll get to why everyone was allowed to get vaccined, I guess, um, but that's because Scott Morrison is a dumb piece of shit and like a stopped <laughs> clock, he occasionally makes the correct policy decision. Yeah, the vaccine rollout in Australia is like, you've got all the guards who are standing in front of the vaccines and every now and then somebody like throws a flashbang into the room and the guards are just like, what's going on? And that's when you got to run in and get vaccinated. <laughs> It's so true. Um, so, so basically, yeah, a uh, bit of background. All the states are locked down. Uh, Delta v- virus is going around in Australia. Nobody knows what the shit they're doing because they don't have any decent plans. There was a national cabinet meeting on Monday. Scott Morrison dialed in via Zoom and didn't pay a lot of attention. But everyone's taking it seriously now because the virus has made the jump from Melburnians to humans. <laughs> and then afterwards, Scott Morrison went out uh, to do a press conference and it was a dumbest shit press conference where he said nothing mostly because he he was presumably only watching on one monitor. He had the footy on his phone on the other one. Exercise for the listener. Yeah. What was he doing on the other monitor? 
I'll leave that up to you. Photoshopping <laughs> Dan Andrews' head into a meatball. Insert joke here. <laughs> <laughs> Applying for more little... I stopped these plaques. Oh, but he's he- going to definitely make a little virus one of them, <laughs> isn't he? He fucking 100%. He's going to make a little vaccine one. <laughs> Stop that little needle. I stopped these. And started them and stopped them and started and stopped them. He just loves stopping stuff. But he... He, with questions from journalists after, somehow he stumbled over him himself and said that people under 40 can get the vaccine now. Does that mean that people under 40 will be able to talk to their GPs and get the jab immediately? Well, if they wish to go and speak to their, jo- their, their doctor and have access to the AstraZeneca vaccine, they can do so. Smash cut to Gladys Berejiklian blowing out her beer. <laughs> Every journalist in the room. <laughs> Barnaby Joyce, but for a totally different reason. He just eaten something weird. <laughs> because because this is this is no one under forties were never able to. The national cabinet had not agreed to this. He just made it up. He just tweeted it out um, <laughs> in person. And so, but because he's the prime minister, basically, if he says something, it becomes a thing. Um, and now he said it quite clearly. He can't just be like, oh, mm. I was wrong because he bursts into flames. Quite clearly is the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> it's, Relatively I mean, clearly. He, he, there's, there's some reporting going around that seems to suggest that this, yeah, genuinely might have been a fuck up because it wasn't yeah. even listed as part of like his press conference right after this national cabinet meeting and here it is his big bold plan under 40s or under 60s can get vaccinated with AstraZeneca it did come out afterwards in questioning and the whole media the whole press conference he was giving was also just this fucking rambling weird insane, insane. nonsense that then just resulted in him just going hey, get the vac- vaccine yeah it's a major change to the rollout of the vaccine but not part of the press release. Part of the just follow-up questions afterwards is, is yeah. when he announced it. Which I I have the feeling he didn't know what the existing policy was. <laughs> he already thought um, they were. He, he went, oh, I guess under 40s. Okay. One thing I just sure. want to say as well, there has been a lot of like after this hilarious announcement and having to him, like Scott Morrison having to post through it and just say, yeah, I actually meant that, by the way. Right. That's everyone just sort of agreeing that that was fine and what they all planned for. Yeah. Uh, There's been a lot of analysis and misconstruing various um, organizations in Australia giving medical advice. I just want to like, I feel like it's personally responsible for us to say that the the, the the most important advice comes from an organisation called the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation. They're called ATAGI. You might have seen the acronym floating around quite a bit. Their advice from the start of the vaccine rollout was it's not preferable to give the AstraZeneca vaccine to under 60s. It has um, more... The, there's more preference to 60 and over. However... In a circumstance where there is like an outbreak, you'd better you'd be better off vaccinated than not. Like the risks of it are low compared to actually getting COVID. They've yeah. that that advice has not changed in any way. It's remained that way since. Um, if you go on their website, um, there's like you know a lot of statistics about the risk of um, blood clots and like there there's quite there's a risk of blood clots in pretty much every vaccine that comes through. Mm. Um, but the risk is so small as to be 2.4 people per 100,000 in those under 60. 
Um, there's mm. very, very few confirmed cases of blood clots and they still have, they've updated their advice on their website following the meeting on the 30th of June to say that it is the preferred vaccine for age 16 to under 60 years. They've made it much more clearer now. Uh, and they mm. said like, you know, that it's very important, like the benefit of vaccination and preventing COVID-19 with that vaccine outweighs the risk of blood clots. So go get your bloody vaccine. Yeah. Uh, the blood clot also isn't fatal. That's just the blood clot. It's not the death rate of the blood clot. The, the blood clot, especially like it was a very dangerous blood clot early on. And then now that they know to look for the symptoms of the of the AZ side effect blood clot that you catch, like the fatality rate of that blood clot has also dropped um, really far. But the Atagi advice is also based on the current state of Australia. Mm. That is, there's no uncontrolled outbreak, so it's not a rush. Yeah. But it also means that as long as we're not rushing, the borders will stay closed. Like yeah. it's not just protect from coronavirus it's like once everybody's vaccinated then we can start opening back up yeah. and it's, if, if people are like oh wait for the the pfizer or whatever it, it delays it, it prolongs lockdowns basically yeah yeah and importantly like uh if there was no virus at all you wouldn't need any vaccine so it's kind of weird to compare getting a vaccine to not getting a vaccine when you're not expecting to get covid the only thing i do want to point out there though is that our lockdowns aren't based on like doctors don't make that decision and it's not a natural state. Lockdowns mm. are political. And mm. I don't think we've talked about it a bunch on the pod. I just don't think we should be putting so much stock into the idea of like, once we're all vaccinated, the borders will open. We'll stop having lockdowns. <laughs> I don't think we fucking will. I don't think so either. Yeah. I can see a situation happily where we have 80 to 85% of the population vaccinated and a, a, there's a community transition and they're sort of like, oh, oh, we, we might have to go to some stage and like threatening people with it and potentially locking down for a weekend or so just because. Yeah. Because it does seem to be, you know, politically expedient and they do love it. And Victoria is a police state because Dan Andrews is a little <laughs> hoglet for cops. Like, it, it, it in a perfect world, more people getting vaccinated would mean borders would open up and lockdowns would happen less and less. But we also need to keep in mind that that's, that involves pressuring politicians and there needs to be political will to do that as well. The, the, yeah, mm. in Australia, it's politicised. And like we've seen now in the last few weeks that they are willing to shut international borders or constrain them even further to their already very limited restrictions um, as much as possible on the basis of very spurious information. Yeah, all that all that aside, because we're, we're obviously not, we can't give medical advice. There's a whole lot of factors to consider when you're thinking about vaccines, blah, 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 blah. Scott Morrison um, has, has come out after this because Australia's like, oh, this is a problem we need to solve. He's gone right. You know, we're not incompetent buffoons. We're not making stuff up as we go along. And I can <laughs> prove it. He's come out with the four-step plan for getting <laughs> Australia back to normal. And it's, like, it's the dumbest <laughs> shit. I'm not surprising anybody by saying it's the dumbest shit um, because everything he says is the dumbest shit. But this is like if you'd asked a year eight, a year and a half ago, to write a hypothetical of what Australia's plan to get out of, of COVID lockdowns <laughs> would look like, they do a better job than this. Um, they'd, you know, Macquarie defines uh, vaccine as. Um, it's, so basically, here's Scott. That's not I'm, a gag, gonna... right? They literally had the Macquarie definition in because we've done that gag about how shit government press releases are before. This time, they actually put the Macquarie definition. Was that in, that, in this that's one? That's a different story. Different yeah, story. that's a different. That's story. in a different. Well, they did fucking do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the kind of shit they do. And if they'd done that, it would have been better. Anyway. 
the the actual four steps and he's called this the new deal it's not it's the deal we should have had two years ago but shut up um (laughs) yes so step step number one shut up phase number one which is the phase we're in already uh basically Mm -hmm. consists of get people vaccinated Mm -hmm. um lower travel caps uh, fiddle around with a a bunch of other stuff about about traveling and visas and stuff okay that's step one get people vaccinated a bunch Steps two through four are basically, once people are vaccinated, you can slowly open things up more. And he says this, like, step number four is like, back to normal. No more lockdowns, no more travel caps, everyone's vaccinated. I'm like, yeah, great. Well, that'd be fucking great, wouldn't it? Step one is get people vaccinated. (laughs) That's what we need. He's like, everyone's mad at me because we've made such a fucking bullshit show of the vaccine rollout. So we got this new... Four-step plan. Step one, <laughs> fix that vaccine rollout <laughs> that everyone's mad at us for. Steps two through four, won't that be nice? Yeah, step two is Yay. once we've got a lot of people vaccinated, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Go back to step one for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all he's done. And, and he hasn't given any targets or goals or timelines or even proportions of the population being vaccinated that will will activate each of these steps because that would involve any kind of policy and the last time he did that was on accident notice the last time (laughs) scott morrison announced any real policy change was an accident that everyone got mad at him about (laughs) so in keeping with our government hasn't even started telling people to get vaccinated no we have no vaccine information campaign. Not even I, a shit one with milkshakes. That's shakes. not strictly true. I, I have seen, like, uh, commercial advertisements and bus stop ads and stuff for it. So, there is a campaign, but... Wait, really? By yeah, the government? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, by the government. Oh. Like, um, there's a bus stop, like, right next door that has got COVID vaccination information on it. But that being said, it's still very check if you're eligible rather than oh. everybody go get a vaccine or, a, <laughs> like, a widely concerted. Does it have the same sort of vibe as, like, the Greg Hunt with the mask <laughs> recommendation thing? <laughs> just like, we've got know the risks. vaccines and, you know, yeah, they can work I, for some people, but also don't be too alarmed by it. You, you can wait as well. It's all good. Talk to your doctor. Chill out. Yeah. Don't go rushing. When I try to talk about vaccines to people as just a normal person, I try to be positive about it in that, yeah, like, look, there'll be side effects and everything, but think of, like, how good it is that you'll be able to go out and, like, you know, the good that you're doing for your sick friends and that sort of thing. Like, a really forward-facing, positive, optimistic thing about how much of a community good it is to go get a vaccine. There is nothing like that as far as I've personally seen. Feel free to prove me wrong, listeners. But the only <laughs> the the only thing I've seen is basically there are vaccines available. You should go and check if you're eligible. It's like just... Go. Yeah. I've I've seen I've seen ads saying here's how to know if you're eligible for vaccination. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't seen anything saying Australia get vaccinated. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's the sort of campaign that we need is is pushing people. There's only been that Channel Nine ad where it's like all those <sighs> Channel Nine personalities are, are all just rocking up, looking shiny and in makeup, getting like you know talking about vaccines for some reason. Yeah, which is still better than nothing. I saw France had one uh, that was like, hey, vaccines make you sexy. And it's like (laughs) two hot young people making out in a taxi. And I'm like, go on. Good on you, France. Yeah. (laughs) Look, I will be a vaccine influencer. Like if Atagi wants to give me like money to do this, I will do it. I will I will get people to get vaccinated. Vaccine influence is not a job, Evie. Take it off your vision. Big pharma, please, just (laughs) please give me money. 
Um, so in keeping with our, our trend for, for these stories, uh, guess where Australia is in the OECD for vaccine rollout? Third. Uh, surely we've beat Qatar and... Uh- Third. <laughs> On the list of all countries in the OECD... We are last. Hey. We are, we are last <laughs> below Mexico, below Qatar and Brunei. <laughs> Brunei. We're being beaten by Brazil, which is headed by fucking Bolsonaro, who <laughs> wants to kill everyone. No, you mean Bolsonaro, who's literally the human embodiment of COVID. Like, he's just going right? around like the spectre of death to each house giving them COVID because he is COVID. Brazil has, like, double our vaccine rate. God almighty. We're, we're, we're hanging about level with, uh, with Lebanon, Palestine and Moldova. So that's Makes where sense. we're at. I, yep. I don't want to harp on about this, and I know I've mentioned it in previous episodes, but there is a long history of, like, you know, not sufficiently clamping down on anti-vaccine sentiment in Australia mm. that is now coming home to roost. Um, oh, yeah. When the whole... This is just... Uh, so, Andrew Wakefield is a disgraced doctor who initially caused the scare about the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine many years ago uh, in publishing mm. a faulty article in The Lancet, which was then withdrawn. There's a very good H-Bomber guy video about that. Mm. Oh, yes, there is. We should put that in the links. Um, and, yeah, that that premise was also based on the same thing, which is, oh, like all these side effects that they could be causing children, that was, once again, based on a very inaccurately described study and, you know, just was not peer-reviewed in any way. Um, but the fear that can come from that is easily transmissible to people in very populist ways. And Australia has done very little to counteract that in the last 20 years. And now we're seeing what happens when that affects a public health response, when that gets politicised, when it gets, you know, manipulated for various means. And now, like, you know, things that we accepted as a given for vaccines for decades are just, like, accepted as reasons to not get them at all. It's just... It's incomprehensible. I think I think that's in context of the government has spent decades and decades actively dismantling any body of the Australian society that can understand statistics. Yeah. Um, like mm-hmm. that's, you know, climate scientists, crime stats, the census, friggin' the Bureau of Meteorology. <laughs> Anytime someone is like, oh, we've run the numbers. Um, the numbers are bad because the numbers never agree with the fucking right-wing conservative government because they just want to be like, black kids cause crime, oil is good, vaccines will kill you. And a perfectly credulous um, centre-left party will still go along with that in a, yeah. from fear of being seen as, you know, counter to their opinions. Oh, uh, just... Labor being like, oh, look, we don't support it, but we are going to vote yes. Yeah, Labor doesn't yeah. care about stats either. They don't even want to uh, pretend to have a definition of poverty or uh, what amount of money people need to live. Our, our bloody podcast favourite, Christine Kershaw-Keneally, going and spreading anti-vaxxer opinions. Well, I say anti-vaxxer because I believe very strongly that it is an anti-vaxxer opinion to, you know, to spread misinformation about the AstraZeneca vaccine. And she was doing the whole, I'll wait for Pfizer because the government doesn't care about older women. Uh-huh. <laughs> their whole response to ScoMo announcing that under 40s could get it has been like, ScoMo's going against medical advice. Don't get the extra Zeneca because the Liberal Party wants you to get it. Oh. Fuck off. You should be encouraging people to get vaccinated, yeah. you bastards. It's been, I will say, like, just to say it on a positive note, it has been 
so enormously heartwarming to see how many of my friends have just immediately dropped everything and run out to go get the vaccine. Like, it's been mm. so good to see just my Instagram feed and Twitter feed just full of people getting their, their vaccines and taking selfies and just being really proud of being part of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a brief warning ahead of time, uh, this next little segment that we're going to be talking about mentions the names of Aboriginal and First Nations people who have died. So coming into NAIDOC week, we unfortunately have... Uh, we're coming to the end of an inquiry into the death of an Indigenous man in custody, his name being Raymond Noel Lindsay Thomas, who died on the 25th of the 6th, 2017. He actually died pretty close to home for a lot of our listeners who live in, you know, the inner suburbs of Melbourne. Um, he died when he was going to the shops, as you know, as you do on a weekend, and you go at 11 o'clock and you go and get some dessert. And what he was doing was simply getting a chocolate bar from the Woolworths, put in his uh, front passenger seat, pulled out of the car park, turned left onto Dunder Street in Preston. Victoria police claimed that they read his plates uh, and found that it was an unregistered car and they pursued him for roughly two kilometres, at which point he came to a high-speed crash and died on impact. Okay, so... So he he just pulled out of the supermarket. The the cops clocked him. Went, we better run those plates. Yeah, which they're just running all the plates. They're yeah. just sitting there running plates. Yeah, that's right. As as you as you would. And then chasing them at high speed if the plates are dodgy. Instead of I don't know, sending them a fine through the mail. Yeah, it seems like a logical thing to do. Um, however, um, at the final day of his inquest, which has gone on for um a couple of weeks now. The coroner has slammed both the actions of the police during this incident and also during the inquiry. The police, Victorian police decided to send extra patrols to the court this last Wednesday uh, while the assistant commissioner, Libby Murphy, was giving evidence. And as you can imagine, the death of an Aboriginal man and having uniformed police presence in the gallery is immensely traumatic especially considering Hmm. that it is a man who has died in police custody. Um, Jesus. So Coroner John Ollie said, I believe it was not from malice. I believe it was from ignorance. And I believe it's an example of how much we have to learn. And the dignity and respect from the proceedings and empathy for witnesses was quite powerful for a coroner to witness. Um, As much as I appreciate the emotions of everyone else that were involved, I feel like the coroner is probably giving a little bit of benefit of the doubt to Victoria Police Mm. for being there in uniform at the coronial Mm. inquest of a dead Aboriginal man. Yeah, what are they enforcing there? What are they protecting? Yeah, this idea that it didn't didn't come from malice. The the jacked meathead cunts just rocked up, you know, because they thought there might be an issue, Your Honour. It's like, fuck off. Absolutely yeah. fuck off. It's it's strong man gang tactics like they always fucking employ. There was a call out that um, uh, Indigenous activist group said like, hey, please come down if you can to the inquest because we don't like how um, uh, some of the people giving evidence and whatnot are treating the family and that seems disrespectful. So we want you there in solidarity um, because it's very traumatic. And so a few people did rock up. And so the cops response to that was, we have intel that there might be a riot. <laughs> Send in the fucking yeah. riot cops. To rock up. It, it was really good to hear like voices from, especially from people 
like April Day, who is the daughter of um, the Aboriginal woman Tanya Day, who also died in police custody a few years ago, um, she said that the police presence was a violent act. Um, yeah. She said that it was it was very yeah. disappointing. They they decided to bring uniformed officers here while there's a grieving family, and they're only trying to find answers of what happened to their son. And it's perpetrated more state violence on this family and caused more harm and grief to see yeah. the yeah. perpetrators of that violence there. I mean, they got they had riot cops at the at the inquest. It's preposterous. Uh, Sally Rugg uh, tweeted a, a a quote from the coroner who apparently was uh, furious for this entire inquest. The family have been nothing but dignified. There is no need for extra security in my court. They should not be here, said the coroner, regarding the additional police presence who were just yeah didn't need to be there. And so. Are cops just allowed to just rock up where... I guess they are allowed to just rock up wherever they think more yeah. cops are required. Oh, we just... Yeah, they kind of are. We just saw a lot of Holden Commodores here and thought trouble was going to kick off. Well, it's going to kick off now because you're full of riot cops. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how this keeps happening. So I want to speak something to this... Just because I know, um, having seen this from experience, so... Uh, the court heard at the time that the Victorian police didn't provide training to members on understanding the responses of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander motorists mm-hmm. who were pulled over by officers. I just feel constantly that the answer within the police force is training. You need training. It boggles on the mind. You need training yeah. on this. You need training on that. Yeah, rather than like frigging de-radicalization classes to stop being white supremacists. I, I, I've constantly seen conversations, you know, it's happened in the past few months when we talked about police officers at Pride. And we talked about police officers in all sorts of situations where the uniformed presence specifically is not welcome and is reminding to certain communities of the kind of violence that police have traditionally perpetrated on them. And... You know, it, it, it boggles the mind that you constantly have to tell the police, yes, it's very traumatic to see police in uniform in a situation where people are grieving. I think, though, like, for that to happen, the police would have to accept that their presence is traumatic. And for them to accept that, they'd have to accept that they've done things that have traumatised people in the past. And, and mm. because the police basically occupy the role of an abuser in this situation. It's an admission um, of guilt. Exactly. You can't say, oh, I've traumatised people. That, that means that I've done something wrong. They'll be like, oh, but everything we've done has been for good reasons. If anybody is traumatised, that's their own shit because we've only ever done the right thing. So why should we be ashamed of that? Yeah. Hmm. That'll, that'll never happen. Uh, one other yeah. thing that um, came up, uh, and it's something that we've heard quite a lot, especially in regards to um, deaths in custody in the US and all sorts of stories that have come out Um uh, in in the wake of Black Lives Matter, um, Mr. Thomas's father told the court how scared his son must have been in his final moments because from the moment he was a 10-year-old, he has known what it's like to have a run-in with the police. So um, he told this story. He said, two police officers came along and they apprehended our boys, handcuffed them and made them sit down in the gutter. And one of the officers said, if you move, I'll shoot you. And that was his first interaction with police as a 10-year-old. A 10-year-old. What What I, possible reason could you possibly have to handcuff a 10-year-old boy, a child? Being a mega racist, Evie. Yeah, <laughs> being a big racist piece of shit, supported by a system of big racist pieces of shit. You think about the children in your life. Again, like another conversation we've had about, you know, the age of um, being able to be um, put in jail. 
to to be uh, mm. to to be raised in this country. Uh, think about all the children in your life, and then think about putting handcuffs on a ten-year-old child. What possible reason? And threatening to kill a ten-year-old child. It's impossible for me to rem- to imagine bloody Victorian cops threatening to shoot a white ten-year-old, even if they've been friggin' I don't know stealing or smashing windows or something. They'd never be like, "Sit there, or I'll shoot you." Yeah. Or maybe they would. Maybe they would. I've lived a very privileged (laughs) life, but I find it a a bit more difficult. Uh, Only only if you were extremely poor, then maybe. Maybe, yeah. Really, really. Yeah. Just, uh, yep. I I just, I I shouldn't keep uh, going back over it, but it, it still boggles my mind the way they did a high speed pursuit without sirens or lights in a, in an inner suburbs, small street after running plates. Sorry, that's, that's, they're looking for trouble. I, I, is that even allowed? I'm probably asking you highway patrol. (laughs) I I think this is the second time it's come up in this segment of like, are the police allowed to do this? The, the, The question is, who will stop them from doing it? Like if the police are misbehaving... The, the options are, like, y- y- meta-cops who come in and arrest the cops, which we don't have, or getting a politician to actually criticise the behaviour of the police, yeah. which th- that is not the environment that we live in. Like, deaths in custody is not the only vector for police misbehaviour. Like, during the bloody uh, tower lockdowns, when oh, yeah. the, the police were visibly and, like, in tons of video clips and stuff, not obeying social distancing, wearing proper masks and that sort of thing, preventing medical supplies from getting in, brutalising people who had not committed any kind of offence plus them inciting violence at protests, targeting and journalists and that sort of stuff, plus all the times that they get caught posting uh, white supremacist shit on social media. Like, there's just no consequences for that sort of thing because it's like, oh, they're the cops, though. Mm. They're the good guys. They're protecting everybody. And if they manage to, you know, uh, create infection risks and, you know, uh, deaths in custody while they're protecting everybody, you can't say they're the bad guys. They're protecting everybody, even though that protection results in you know, death and suffering and violence and, and, and trauma. Oh, no, it's... it's it, Once you look past the death, it's protection. They must so have a good reason. Good. They're the cops, by definition. Every every small child knows cops equals good guys, except <laughs> for the, the small child guys. that have come in contact with racist cops. Here we go. Apparently, they reached 134 kilometres an hour. And these are on, like, little... Two-lane residential streets with roundabouts and shit. It boggles the mind. Even on High Street, that's, like, that's too fast. That's, there's no reason for any sort of high-speed pursuit on High Street. I stress out doing 130 kilometres on the freeway, overtaking. (laughs) So the council um, assisting Michael Rivett, he made four submissions to the coroner for consideration in his findings, and... They include cameras being installed in all police pursuit vehicles, pursuit drivers being aware of their speed at all times, oh. amending, amending the pursuit policy to interrogate why a pursuit might be undertaken. Oh, and, what? And, Think and, about it. And practical training to be undertaken by all police pursuit drivers. I just want to like interject here and say I would love a rationale of why there is even police pursuit. Yeah. And, like, if they're not already being aware of their speed and thinking about why they're pursuing, what the fuck are the rules currently? Yeah. Please. If you reckon. Do good. (laughs) Uh, The the thing with traffic laws is that I often, like, when I talk about the police, um, often the pushback I get is, well, traffic police should be good, right? Because you want, like, Mm. you know, that's, that's one of those things where you don't want people breaking the law and killing people or something like that. But how is one speeding car worse than two full-speed cars trying to outrun another car. 
Like, it, you're adding, you're compounding to the problem. Oh, but one of those speeding cars, EV, is trying to catch the other one. So, they cancel out, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only like, thing that can stop a bad fast car is a good fast car. <laughs> like, it, 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 of course, like, you know, they would. there's lots of rationales for being an intimidatory tactic. But I, I've yet to see, like, a really good rationale of why that is a useful police procedure. And in this case, it mm. has been used in a way that has ended up in the death of a man. For no reason. Especially in the age of friggin', you know, the panopticon where we've got GPS trackers on everything. We've got, you know, satellite video of all kinds of shit. Like, if a a car's getting away that is like a a actual wrongdoer, just, you know, there are other ways to follow up where they went, for sure. He wasn't even doing wrong. He had an unregistered car. It's a civil misdemeanor. That's what gets me. There was no reason to even be chasing him in the first place. That does not require high-speed police chase. Send him a fine in the mail if you have to. I just don't really believe it. What happens when you you go 134 kilometres and then catch him? You look at the back lights and go, hmm, well, there'll be a fine coming in the mail now. (laughs) Yeah. It's not as yeah. cool, Mitch, when you do that. It's not as cool. This is the thing. You're joking, but that is their fucking mentality. They fucking love it. It's why they also rocked up to the court in a show of solidarity for the boys in blue. And they fucking love it whenever they get their riot gear on. They love it when they can put the fu- the sirens on and, and go for a fucking burnout down the street. They fucking love it. That's why they're cops. Everyone knows what cops can do. Cops are a self-selecting bunch that look at that and go, fuck, I get to speed and have a cool gun. Hell yeah. Why wouldn't they try to use it all the time? That's the the joke from The Simpsons where they're surrounding the, the house and uh, one of the cops is like, you know, Chief, can I hold my gun sideways? It looks so cool. Oh, you can do whatever you want, birthday boy. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, like, I, I just realised, like, the main part of why, like... Um, traffic cops and border cops in particular have so much, you know, public sway is because they sustained like a years-long publicity campaign in Australia with like really popular TV shows that show how comical Mm. criminals are. Like I I remember when I was a kid, um, Highway Patrol and those kind of shows were like a big thing on Channel 7 and Channel 9. They still are. They're on at the gym all the fucking time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, just constant. And all these different types. There's like, there's, you know, there's Highway Patrol. And then I've seen like like motorbike cop. And then there's like, you know, regional cop and city cop. And it's it's (laughs) as constant, you know, copaganda is the term. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Fucking garbage. Get rid of them. It's copaganda. And I think what would benefit perhaps listeners is to go and read about Mr. Thom- Mr. Thomas um, now that the inquest is over. Um, there's a couple of articles in the Saturday paper and The Guardian. We'll link to them in the show notes. Um, just some really nice stories as well from his family about what a lovely man he was and the kind of life that he led. And I think that would be a nice way to remember him as well um, in light of such a tragic death. I think that's the thing that comes up as we so often remember these people as the sort of uh, tragic victims, but they are real people. Yeah. Mm. Gang, would it surprise you at all to find out that pork barreling happens all the time everywhere and cannot be stopped? Well, it's not illegal, so... (laughs) How could it possibly happen in a weirder way than sports rorts? This is the thing. There's this smaller story. I don't know if it's going to get a whole bunch of traction, Um, but we all know sports rort. We started... This podcast, Bread and Butter, was sports rort. 
And it's come out this week, a year later, more stuff. We've now got Carport Rort. Um, oh, I haven't God. seen that said anywhere else. So I came up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to use it, you have to send me a check. If it might, I, that's mine. Carport Rort. Can I also pitch Park Barreling? Ooh. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Just scribbling out Mitch's name on that check, writing it blank. That's much better. What, no, but that could that could be like a municipal thing where like mm, playground stuff true. put up. So, what about car, car park? park yeah. Yes, there we go. So, that's ba- my name's back on the check. So, basically, um, it's been revealed that, that when they were splashing around cash for sports centres in Liberal electorates, they were also splashing around cash for car parks in Liberal electorates as well, which is just- to me, it just goes to show, like, how banal and shit the minutiae mm. of corruption is. Where just, like, you know, just a couple hundred million as well can be splashed around. $660 million for car parks. Where, like, people in government would go to a place and be like, Hello, it's me, a person you can vote for. I'm building you a car park. Now, but Mitch- <laughs> Which is just an election strategy. Surely the people need car parks. <laughs> <laughs> can we get rid of cars and car parks? Anyway- um, this is just a direct quote from The Guardian to let you know sort of the basic outline of what was happening is that not one of the 47 commuter car park sites promised by the coalition at the 2019 election was selected by the infrastructure department. Projects worth $660 million were handpicked by the government on advice of its MPs and candidates. That was Alan Tudge was in charge of it at the time. Oh, he was classic. the Minister for Urban Infrastructure. Um, Alan Tudge, you might remember, had a judge go, dude, I think that's kidnapping and you're not allowed to do it when he uh, detained an asylum seeker for too long because he's fucking evil. And so is this like sports rorts where they had a, a, a body to figure out which ones were deserving and then they got ignored and they just picked the ones they wanted? 100% um, reporting in... <laughs> Crikey has shown that there was no evaluation plan or performance indicators developed for any of the projects. No records were properly kept, despite the department's internal auditors complaining about lack of proper record keeping. The 47 car parks funded under the program were all chosen by Scott Morrison and Alan Tudge on the advice of MPs, other ministers, or state liberal counterparks. Not a single recommendation by the Department of Infrastructure made it into their final list. Most of which was funded before the election was called in 2019. Just little grubs at the fucking trough. Nom, 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 nom. Taxpayer money. Like the thing with sports rorts, like I get that that was money that then that was dis- was allegedly supposed to be dispersed to local governments and local organisations and that sort of thing. But okay, I don't, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't really understand what's the responsibility of state and federal when it comes to... Um, you know, local infrastructure, but I could have sworn that commuter car park sites does not seem like something that would be a federal government interest. Certainly not to the point that $660 million worth of money can be just dispersed like that. The, the, the fact that they were funding car parks at train stations is very important because the, the car parks at train stations are fit, fit into this, this very specific grant structure that they, that they could give without needing to go through the regular channels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. so I was like, that might mean then it's part of the whole, you know, in Victoria, how the, like Dan Andrews plan of like the big build, which is, you know, removing all the, le- the level crossings, building new train stations. A lot of those new train stations, I know the one at Mernda has an enormous car park because that's like a hub um, for where, mm. like, you know, people drive their cars and then they can catch a train into the city. So it's like a commuter hub. <clears throat> I w- well, I was reading that a lot of these uh, supposed car parks for train stations were, like, 
a, a, a bunch of them were a hundred meters or more from the train station. There was one that I think was 600 meters from the train station. And that doesn't seem like very far, but if you can imagine, okay, I'm going to go catch the train. I'm going to drive to the train station and I'm going to walk 600 meters, which for the average person, I think is like at least a, a five to 10 minute walk. You wouldn't think of that car park as the train station. Car no, park. no, that is a car park in the same suburb as the train station. <laughs> and often fucking in, in Brunswick, Week, the train stations aren't even 600 metres apart most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Plocking down car parks wherever it's like, technically, you can get to a train station from here. There's a train station there, 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 there. Um, yeah, and I mean, this 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 plays into the whole thing. Um, uh, apparently, in April, the department replied um, that original advice provided no indication that being attached to the railway station was a factor in determining eligibility. <laughs> it quoted well, the just Macquarie. They, they just haven't worried about eligibility at all. They're just like, yeah. check it out. We got some money. It's for anything we want. Here you go. It's really <laughs> fucked up. One of my favorite parts about this was that um, one of the car parks selected was actually in a labor held electorate 300 meters from a boundary near a uh, coalition electorate and they got the like the framing of it wrong mm-hmm. so a fucking a federal coalition mp went to a labor held electorate and announced a car park in it for him <laughs> which is fucking amazing oh, just that rocks. incompetent as well as corrupt so apparently 77% of the car parks were in coalition electorates and that means that some of the ones that weren't they thought were yeah, yeah at least up. one <laughs> they were aiming to be more corrupt than they actually were <laughs> it's so fucking good just absolute like disregard for mm. corruption of old. I think that's what we've lost in this country is a real sense of like proper good old corruption. You know, the type <laughs> you could be proud of. The, the, the kind that you had to do in a back room instead of just being like, yeah, election promise this year will be corrupt for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's absolutely the pitch. I won't consider it old fashioned pork barreling unless there's like a paper bag full of money involved at some point. Or like <laughs> a barrel of pork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have kind of a complex relationship with this particular one because car parks are also shit. Like, you know, the, 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 it's just such a sad state of affairs where the government's like, haha, we've got a cool plan to like make the electorate like us just by spending public money as campaign funds. Let's yeah. give them a whole bunch of car parks. It's like, hey, suburb, we're going to tear up a whole bunch of your <laughs> suburb and replace it with some bare concrete. And the suburb's like, yes, thank you. It's like, you're both terrible. Yeah. <laughs> there's several different markets in Victoria alone where there's constantly plans to try to turn them into parking lots, like Queen Victoria mm. Market, Preston Market, parts of like South Melbourne Market as well, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Like, And just mm. constantly like that sort of pull and, you know, of trying to convert public space into a car park. It's just, it's very on the nose, isn't it? It's self-destructive. Yeah, they fucking paved paradise. Oh, they paved paradise and they put a park. <laughs> they did. They put up a parking lot. It was ScoMo. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite piece of parking lot trivia is the, the SimCity games actually uh, originally uh, intended to map like uh car parking accurately in their cities but they just abandoned that uh and decided to just sort of pretend that all car parking was underground because if they did it accurately it was going to be 
like 50% car parks all over the place. Yeah, it looked like shit. It just looks like shit. You look up, this is a real thing in like American cities as well. If you look at the, the Google um, satellite yeah. view and just be like, fuck, this city's got a lot of car parking. It, like in terms of proportional mm. sort of land usage. This is also absolutely true in Australian cities as well. And I'm sure cities all across the world. But just the the amount of space that car parks take up. This, if you just, next time you're out on a walk or for any reason and you see a car park or a bunch of car parks, think that could be a regular park. What would that look like? Would that be nicer? It's just a fun little brain game to play to make you see the world in a way that constantly makes you sad. And I highly recommend it. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, just wrapping up on something I always want to try to keep coming back to when I can is this whole pork barreling thing, sports rorts, carport rort, all of this sort of shit is talked about in terms of like, you know, the election promises and like, you know, pork barreling for the election and blah, blah, blah. But I want journalists to start reporting more on the open secret of the Liberal Party being sure, just to their bones sure, that they were going to lose the 2019 election. And they, like, they were... They were, they were setting themselves up with fucking private jobs. Staffers were trying to move around. They thought it was going to be between like eight to ten seats lost. We all thought Labor was going to have a landslide victory. And so we all remember the, the Liberal Party being just as surprised as everyone else that they fucking won. I genuinely think all of these rorts need to be thought of in the context of people just fucking fire sailing tax dollars and infrastructure mm. and just cash splashing as best they can, throwing money at their mates and other sitting members and all of this shit before they're kicked out. I, I straight I, up end of financial year shit. Just like, well, yeah. if we don't spend it, it's gone. I, I, I really do <laughs> think that there is something to that line of thought just because they didn't think they would have to face the consequences for this. They thought they would be in opposition and they wouldn't be their mess to clean up. They, would need, they wouldn't need to face any scrutiny for it. So they're just like, fuck yeah, have some money. Have taxpayer money. And now they're in government not facing the consequences for it. So that's really backfired on them. Yeah. Ah, nevertheless. So they they plan to lose and they failed at that. And what you're saying <laughs> is, is Australia in the last several years has followed the plot line of the producers? Yeah. That, that makes sense. Basically. It. Is this springtime for Scott Morrison? <laughs> that's a god when we'll end the podcast. <laughs> Shoutouts this week for NADOC week. How about you pay the rent? We shouted out pay the rent before. Just go to paytherent.net.au. You can set up a regular donation. I do that out of my paycheck every month. Um, Or you can do a one-off donation as well. Um, But it's just a really useful and constructive thing to do. And you should do it. Yeah, it's the the principle is that we live on stolen land. We say that at the end of every podcast episode. You hear that all the place sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, it's it's a real thing. <laughs> the, the, the original owners of this land didn't sell it or give it away. It was just nicked from them. We're living on it now. There is a principle at play that if you're living on someone's land, you should make a contribution. That that's that's It's fundamentally it. Pay the rent. What is it? Is it, thanks for li- yeah, yeah, thanks for listening to another. Yeah, but I'm trying to remember the other. What, what other shit do we have to say? Hold on, I've, I've got to cursor down here. Thanks for listening to another episode of not. Yeah, but just the general enough. stuff. Some of us um, need you, you know. can get in touch with us 
on all the socials and oh, yeah. good podcasts. All right, this all is right. going to be this all is right, actually okay. going to be what you leave in, isn't it? Fucking please don't. <laughs> That's the worst. No, please don't. All right, McLean, no, edit this out for the love of God. All right, thank you to uh, no. See, I've already fucked it. <laughs> I'm going with my one. I'm going. And then Don't. Like, that's where we fade out. No, no. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. Um, you can reach us on all of the usual socials at Not Good Pod, or if you want to email us for whatever reason, uh, we're at NotGoodPod at protonmail.com. Um, it is only encrypted if you send it from another proton mail. But really, what what secret stuff are you sending us? Don't don't we're no, not send us secret Just send stuff. Just send us fuck. Send us funny gossip. <laughs> uh, like you could leak some stuff. We keep telling you not to do that. And no, yeah. Anyway, it's kind of just like a long running joke where we really do want to be emailed something incredibly spicy. But anyone who did email us something incredibly spicy would be very irresponsible in doing so. We wouldn't know what to do with it. To like it. a real journalist, or yeah, we'd laugh about it in the group chat, and then oh, we'd no, be like, yeah, oh no. I don't know if we would even laugh about it in the group chat. We'd be like, shit, holy shit, shit I think shit. somebody sent us something actually like dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we'll just delete that. <laughs> if you've got something super spicy and you want to send it to somebody who will pretend that they never saw it and never <laughs> talk about it at all, hit us up. Not good part of Just tell us your secrets. Like if you've got a crush on someone, just email us that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't even need to know who the person That's real is. cute. Oh, and actually do email us your crush because then if two listeners oh. have a crush on each other and they both email us, we can we can do something about that. They're not, not good, good point dating matchmaking service. service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could, but we won't. We absolutely won't do that. That's a, bre- that's a breach of trust. We'll take Even your crush for our own. <laughs> I reckon if, you, if you've got some political secrets, like CC in emails with other journalists so we know that's that it's true. gone to the responsible places and also... <laughs> We'll hassle them about it. Yeah, Glenn, spice, Mr. Greenwood, at <laughs> <laughs> please follow up so we can do some funny riffs about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Classic. Not good enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, and sovereignty was never ceded. <laughs>